0: From Bowling Green State University and the Institute for the Study of Culture and Society, this is BG Ideas.
1: I'm going to show you this with a wonderful experiment. You're listening to the Big Ideas Podcast, a collaboration between the Institute for the Study of Culture and Society and the School of Media and Communication at Bowling Green State University. I'm Jolie Scheffer, Professor of English and American Culture Studies and the Director of ICS. As always, the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of BGSU or its employees. Bowling Green State University and its campuses are situated in the Great Black Swamp and the Lower Great Lakes region. This land is the homeland of the Wyandotte, Kickapoo, Miami, Potawatomi, Odawa, and multiple other Indigenous tribal nations present and past who were forcibly removed to and from the area. We recognize these historical and contemporary ties in our efforts toward decolonizing history, and we thank the Indigenous individuals and communities who've been living and working on this land from time immemorial. This season of Big Ideas focuses on sustainability and sustainable practices. True sustainability is dependent on equally balanced responses to social, economic, and environmental needs. Today's episode addresses the role of art and creative expression as means for Indigenous peoples to reclaim identity and engage in decolonization. I'm very pleased to be joined by Seth Thomas Sutton and Lucas Ostrowski. Thanks for being here with me.
2: Thank you very much, Jolie. Yeah, thanks for having us.
1: Seth Thomas Sutton is a Métis descendant of the North Shore Band of the Little Traverse Bay Bands of Odawa Indians, Harbor Springs, Michigan. He's an artist, scholar, author, and activist, and is a professor and chair of the Arts and Humanities Department of Montcalm Community College in Central Michigan. Seth is a member of the Native American Advisory Council at Grand Valley State University and a co-founding member of Winwa Nija Singh. We the Seventh, an Indigenous-led environmental, cultural, and socially-minded arts collective that has been nominated for two Emmy Awards for their documentary work. Three, make that three Emmy Awards. Lucas Ostrowski is an associate professor for the Department of Theater and Film at BGSU. He's also an independent filmmaker whose work includes documentary, narrative, and experimental films. To start, you've known each other since childhood in Michigan, and you now find yourself as creators, filmmakers, and educators. Could you give us a sort of short version of each of your paths from that small town in Michigan to being a professor, an artist, a filmmaker?
0: That's really funny that uh, you said that, because when I got into town last night, uh, I met Luke for uh, dinner. and. I had asked the same question to Luke. I said, "Out of all the people that we graduated and knew in high school, did you really think that the two of us would be doing what we do now?" And I, I don't know. I think that's really funny. Um, As far as like the path for me, uh, my dad's an educator. He was a teacher for uh, forty plus years. He taught art. He is a a master ceramicist, a master basket maker. I grew up in an artistic family, that's what we did. My mom was a basket maker and she would weave uh, sweet grass and do uh, dried flowers and traditional arts. Um, my brother's a sculptor. So art, it was just who we are as people. And um, I, uh, looking at it from, it, you know, with hindsight, I'm an educator, that's just who I am. Uh, and the things that I do and the tools that I have kind of acquired, it just seems the most appropriate. I don't, they're not my gifts to keep. Um, It's my gifts to share.
1: And how for how film, you know, how did you come to film as the medium?
0: Uh, Actually, well, so it's not I have to make a a, maybe a a confession here. As far as an artist is concerned, I don't consider myself a filmmaker or a photographer or a painter or a ceramicist or uh, an author. I'm an educator. I'm a creative individual. That was the gift that the creator gave to me. So as far as the medium that I choose to express my message it is merely a vehicle it is whatever needs to be used to get that message across and if it happens to be film it's film I've never I've never thought about art or separated or differentiated any type of disciplines
2: um from the next
1: what about for you, Lucas? What's your what have some of the key stops on your journey been?
2: Well, when I first like, you know, I was a bit of a knucklehead. Like I think a lot of us were in, yeah. in high school. You know, you like to cause mischief and that sort of thing. And I never expect that this was the path I was going take. I be. never did that. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I never did that. Not <laughs> at all. Not at all. And, and that's all part of it is I always think what would 42-year-old me go back in time to talk to 16-year-old me? And I think 16-year-old me would have left in his in forty years, like, I'm I would never make it to forty two. What are you talking about? And and that that was all part of it. And um, we on, on my side, it was uh, I was a consumer, consumer of uh, media, consumer of uh, film. and never even thought about that as an option. I didn't I didn't think it was an option. I mean, we lived in a small town in Michigan, and um, I decided I wanted to go into radio. Like the final week of the final year of high school, I had not made any plans for college. I didn't even want to go to college. I didn't think that was my path. But I didn't even know what a path, what my path was. And ultimately, I wanted to do radio. And that didn't work out. And so from there, seven major changes in, in, in a community college. And yeah, that's yeah. pretty intense. They get to know you. Um, yeah. Then I watched I watch the film. I mean, that's the whole thing. You go in no, there. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm in line, change my major. And then they, all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Then go back in line and change it again. It doesn't yeah. cost any money. You right. know the routine. Yeah, yeah. And so it's... um. And then I watched a film. One film changed. It was a boogie nights. That's I gotta say. watched the film, and I'm like, something clicked. And then I was like, I want to do film. And so I think I was 20 years old and finally had purpose, finally had drive. and uh, you know along the along the way that happened. and uh, I don't know about being an educator or not. then all of a sudden September 11th happened and like it changed so many of us instead of the perspective. and I thought, I need to do something. If I if I was where I was at, I need to change something. I need to do something. So I went to Grand Valley um, for undergrad and OU for grad school, Ohio University. And um, from there, just decided I'm going to, at first it was a means to an end. I want to make films. That's why I want to be a professor. And then it became, I love being a professor. I love being an educator. And a lot of it is, goes back to high school. It's, um, in a way, what I perceived as the wrongs given to offer to me from some of the educators that I had that maybe didn't help us the way the best way they could. And it was to say, how can we be there to help support our students to make them think why instead of why not? That's ultimately what it became.
1: So this is the question for you, Seth. In both your academic work and in creative context, you know, you do a lot specifically on Native American history and identity sure. um, and politics. So How? What was your path for that? Was that also something that was sort of always present, or did that kind of emerge uh, in a different timeline?
0: Ooh. As far as, maybe I can answer this in uh, maybe a two-pronged fashion. One is the idea that identity um, has always been there. I just wasn't, I didn't recognize it. I think that has a lot to do with my journey. So, all right, I... Uh very specifically, remember the day where the the idea of identity um, became something that I was very uh, astutely aware of. So I also play music, right? I play stand-up bass in a western swing group. and uh, absolutely love it. But so I was um, not the one that booked any of the gigs. Uh, I was just the bass player, so I was sure, whatever. And we had this this gig in Northern Michigan. I didn't know this at the time, but the uh, the guitar player who does the bookings, he says that something northern Michigan traditional arts festival or something to that effect. And I was like, oh, okay, I never heard of it. But there's a lot of things I don't know. So I was just along for the ride and uh, it was on Drummond Island and we pulled into the venue and into the camp in the festival area. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of indigenous folk floating around up here for this time of year. And I didn't. Didn't really put two and two together. And then I look at the – we go up to register, and it's like the Great Lakes Traditional Arts Gathering. I'm like – and it, his name was Luke. Not you, Luke. But I'm oh, like, nope. <laughs> Luke, are we at the Traditional Arts Gathering? And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it's called. And I'm like, oh. So we were playing country music at an indigenous Traditional Arts Gathering where we talk about decolonization. You know, we we uh, gather our own food. We forage. And, I mean, all sorts of uh, – I just kind of, uh, that hit me in a way that I I'd not expected. I couldn't, you can't be an Indian and play country music. Those are contradictions of terms, right? And ideologies, that doesn't work that way. So it's either you can be one or the other. And I was too young to really understand that, no, that's not the way. Um, And then the first time that somebody walked past me and spoke Muin to me, which I hadn't spoken to anyone in, Probably at that point in time, eight years or so, uh, it was like a bucket of cold water. And it was there that I met uh, Lynn Thomas Bardwell, the woman I uh, collaborate with now. Uh, I met her there uh, that day, and I've been friends with her ever since. And it was that is when it was apparent to me that I was doing something that was not the most beneficially advantageous thing to do for myself um, I think that is when that hit me that I n- needed much like Luke was saying that like that that impetus moment of action I think that's when it became aware and then I've just focused on I'm not focused on identity but have thought about it in a much different
1: context Lucas I did want to ask you some questions about your own work. And thinking about, like, you have done a lot with film about kind of independent artists and thinking about creative expression. Can you talk a bit about your own approach to filmmaking and how, you know, how you think about what does it mean to be an independent creator and maybe in relationship to collaboration, but also in trying to put something new out in the world that didn't exist before?
2: The collaborative process is the number one thing. That's the exciting part about it. to go with uh, collaborators that one that are good people to be around. That's to me is the most important thing. If you're many times we were just we shot we filmed a music video a couple weeks ago, and it was the time wrapping the equipment and setting up the equipment that was the most fun because that's when you're letting loose and you're making jokes and you're having fun. You're having this experience and it's less about the creation and more about the community that you're establishing there. For documentary, I just like building relationships. I like telling stories. Um, for instance, there was a, um, I'm working with a singer-songwriter right now. I put it on hold because of COVID, but up in River Rouge, um, Detroit, to develop the relationship with him, just going up there and just, just communicating, just talking and say, I'm not bringing any cameras. I'm not doing anything. Let's be human. And I think that's what sometimes when it comes to the filmmaking or creative process in general, it's the idea is let's get a product. And for me, I'm less concerned with getting a product to more about the idea of you know, telling a story and hopefully it reaches an audience and hopefully it has an impact. Um, and it's that process. I like that collaborative process, even before, before the cameras go on, I think it was the most exciting part when you're being with people.
1: Seth, you recently wrote a book called yes. The Deconstruction of Chief Blackhawk, A Critical Analysis of Mascots and the Visual Rhetoric of the Indian. Could you first explain for our audience like, what visual rhetoric is and how you applied it to think about representations of Native Americans in pop culture?
0: So we have to understand that we're, we're talking about critical theory and philosophy, right? And um, Aristotelian rhetoric is just how we use speech in a persuasive way right? Okay, so we have this idea of visual rhetoric. And if we understand that language is fluid, and we understand that we can look at an image and read an image, therefore an image is language. I'm using it in very similar fashions where I'm looking at artifacts from historical canons and applying these rhetorical strategies visually and understanding that when you see repeated images or uh, derogatory images or, or any image, advertising, anything, you you name an image, uh, how that influences our, our perception of reality and how we use those things to um, justify our moral values, right? And then in turn, our ethics and then our laws, because laws are just... Uh, you know societally accepted ethics, right? So that's what visual rhetoric is. So for all of the social changes that have happened as of late, you know with the Washington football team, you know uh, Cleveland, so on and so forth, quite frankly, the Chicago Blackhawks for whatever reason have gotten a free pass. Of course you have you know Washington and, and Cleveland are going to be the upfront you know in center. that's fine. But okay, now that they've changed, it seems like that conversation is gone now. And I really wanted to explore that. So the the idea of a deconstruction, you know, deconstructionist theory is just literally pulling apart the, the onion layers of understanding. And as you apply that technique through this visual rhetorical means, uh, it is really, it's an exciting uh, thing to do uh, and sad, of course, you know, when you're looking at, these types of derogatory images. But uh, I went to change.org, and I, I started the Change the Chief uh, hashtag and, you know, all of that on social media. But it's it's the idea that there's a lot of people who didn't have the ability to say what they wanted to say, they didn't know how to articulate it, and they can get behind this book, you know, and they can get behind the movement, you know, and uh, so yeah, we just, we're kind of, that's my thing. You know, because uh, it needs to be changed. It's it's about time.
1: Can I shift gears a bit? You,
0: yeah, absolutely. So Good.
1: you, but it's related to this, like on sure. the subject of mascots and things. Both of yeah. you work in film, and hmm. film as a medium has been responsible for so many of the yeah. most pernicious stereotypes of indigenous people, right, through the yeah. western as this dominant genre. Oh,
0: there's the the highest rate of genre films ever made are uh, westerns, and they're roughly around a little over 7,000 Western films made. The closest next genre is war at about 2,000. So, you know, more than a 60% increase of film genre. But that specifically came, though, because those were the the, the visualizations of the dime novels that came out, you know, but those those were just iterations of uh, Buffalo Bill, you know, and his Wild West shows and the Rough Riders, right? So it's, it's all the same medium. Yeah, it's just, it's all the same thing. It's just in a different, you know, uh, application and it's just uh, delivery.
2: Easier to consume. Yeah. Than, oh, yeah. yeah but right there. Well, by 1910. Oh,
0: yeah. But, you know, yeah. by the end of the 19 teens, you know, I mean, people dressed up. It was tuxedos. Like that was the thing to do. That was the evening uh, activity. They would go out, dress to the nines for that 18 minute feature and be done with it. Right. And what were those silent films? What were all those films? The Vanishing American, you know, all of these things. So these ideologies, uh, you know, uh, they were a spectacle. But, oh, my God, they were so – you didn't have to be literate. You could go to the film and see
1: it.
2: They do all the thinking for you right there. Yeah, yeah.
1: So given that, you know, how do each of you think about using this medium that has been used in so many ways as a tool of subjugation? How do you think about using those same tools to tell very different messages?
2: I think now with film, it's – with from the from the start of film to now, I think you hit on it earlier, Seth. it was the it was the natural transition from the books to the movies. And now people felt they didn't have to read books. So you don't have to think anymore. Hollywood's going to do my thinking for me. And so whatever they tell me, whatever they show me, why would they put this inside of a public audience if it's not going to be true? And I think that's it's not to be, you know, it's not to say negative about the audience, but I think the audience we didn't understand. Studies and we didn't understand analysis like we do now, and the accessibility and the people who make work. There's a lot more people out there telling stories, and I think there's an opportunity for different voices to be heard. And I think that's the important thing right now is getting those with a message, giving them an opportunity to tell the story and use the medium that they choose to tell the story, and not just rely on like, okay, well, this is from Hollywood, so I, I'm, I'm going to trust they have my best interests at hand. And they don't. I hope, as consumers of this, that we are much, much more thoughtful as we're listening to it, and we're much more, as a creator, much much more thoughtful of what we're making and realizing what we do has impact. And we have to make sure that the best of intentions they don't matter if the impact is something different. So we got to keep on really paying attention to the way we do things and the method.
0: You know, uh, we use language incorrectly. But again, since imagery is language and text is language, if if we're using language wrong, then we're also using and, you know, using and seeing wrong. Uh, and the idea, we have this cliche, right? Seeing is believing. You know, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, what words, right? Who's speaking the words and whose words, right? So, I mean, there's all of these things going on. And, the the point behind how I'm using these mediums is I'm I'm really trying to regain some sort of an agency. And and Luke you nailed it with the idea that it's not that there's any less bullshit out there, but there are more people that have access and opportunities to tell stories. Uh, and and to shape these narratives. And, you know, that's why our, like, four-part series is called Shaping Narratives, is because we want to be able to regain these agencies that have been lost because of these mediums. So how do we do that? You know, well, we just have to be cognizant of what we're doing. We have to be respectful of who we are shooting and filming, uh, making sure that we retell their story as accurately and as truthfully as we can, right? Because it's not its not just us that are responsible. Now it's their words. And um, so I think that's how we're trying to approach these things. Uh, I often talk in my uh, courses about like human potential, right? And what really potential is and how that works. And the only way that we can organically foster potential is by learning and through the knowledge process and that's not always a rosy process so but as long as we're authentic to who we are to who we're filming to the story that we're trying to tell then i, I think we've we've got something you know i think that that works
1: we're going to take a quick break thanks for listening to the big ideas podcast
2: If you are passionate about big ideas, consider sponsoring this program. To have your name or organization mentioned here, please contact us at ics at bgsu.edu.
1: Welcome back to the Big Ideas Podcast. Today I'm speaking with Seth Thomas Sutton and Lucas Ostrowski. So we were just talking about the troubled history of representations um, of Indigenous people in television and film. And Lucas, you were mentioning that, like, in an age where there The technology has gotten cheaper. There are ways for people to produce and get their work out there. We've also seen some more high profile examples like Sterling Harjo's television series Reservation Dogs, um, which features a predominantly indigenous cast and crew. What are some of the particular barriers um, that Native creators continue to face with content creation? And, you know, you've mentioned this a little bit, but is there anything else you'd want to add, Seth, about ways to create more authentic representations and more complex representations in pop culture?
0: Well, okay, so let's take a look at that word for a second. So we have representation and then we have a representation, right? Right. So we have to make sure that we're using the right type of understanding, because if we're conflating the definition of the words, then we're going to be wrong, regardless of what the outcome is, right? So this idea of Indian or Native American or American Indian, I I don't get behind. I actually don't really like those terms, and I don't use them. Those are constructions, those are sociological constructions, right, To, to say Native American you know, or American Indian, these are still uh, understanding that the doctrine of discovery is an authentic uh, manuscript, right? And it's an authentic uh, ideology or uh, ideological practice. You know, indigenous, uh, that's the best term I can think of to use. Uh, I don't use aboriginal because that ab in front means that it's abnormal, right? So there's something wrong with it inherently. Once we start getting rid of these types of representations, of identity. I think that is how we can start to become more authentic with our storytelling. Because ultimately, um, so uh, John Trudell, right? This idea of we're human beings who have lost or forgot what it means to be a human being, right? I think that that is absolutely spot on. I, I think that we don't think enough as human beings, we don't recognize ourselves as human beings. We recognize ourselves only through this traumatized uh, mentality. Uh, we don't see ourselves or we interact with our perceptual reality through this idea of our inadequacies, because those are the things that this culture imprints upon us, that we're not good enough, right? You need to strive to do this, you need to pay your dues, right? Uh, And I I, I think that once we start thinking and recognizing ourselves as human beings, rather than an individual or a race or an ethnicity or, you know, any of these types of silos, then we can start taking that hyphen out of the representation and make a good representation, right? Which is more, in my understanding, a, a more full and complete picture. And I think that is really a key to making this thing happen. So how? You know, again, going back to what we were just talking about, the fact that technology now gives us an opportunity to explore these, these topics and share. And I could, on a podcast, I can just record my thoughts, hit send, and it's in YouTube in a second. And, you know, I could have it go all over the world. And that's amazing. We didn't have that before. That opportunity was not available to anybody we can uh now we have some troubles there there's uh, some pros and cons to this because obviously now with these these mass medias that we are able to communicate uh, instantaneously i'm still the poor, poor college professor who who doesn't have much money uh is still going up against people that have trillions of dollars or backers or these financiers that can utilize these types of softwares and these mediums, not necessarily better or more efficiently than I can, but they can spend more. I mean, they can dedicate all of their time to this, you know, so they
2: can really construe those messages. And it then it just comes down to propaganda. Absolutely. When they have access to that, then they can also bring people in there. And if they want to throw all their money and all their time sure. and all their effort, I mean, that's something Absolutely. that they can do.
1: So Lucas, I'm interested in how you think about some of these questions about using these tools in ways like to allow some folks to create narratives uh, and art that wouldn't previously have had access especially thinking about this in relationship to smaller communities and being outside of the major cultural centers of like new york and los angeles how does this play out in the way you teach your students so you know to think about film as a medium for independent expression
2: for a lot of that for me Talking to a student, the most important thing is an authentic, independent voice. They must remain true to who they want to be. Anybody can learn how to use a camera. Anybody can be proficient with editing tools, software. People can use that software to change what you're saying and how you're saying it. And uh, for me, it's about authentic voice and telling the stories that you want to tell, not the way that you think I want to tell it or the way your parents want to tell it or the way your peers want to tell it, but the way that's authentic to you. And if you believe enough in the stories and how you want to communicate to someone, people will get behind you people want someone that's going to be passionate about what they're going to do. And that's the excitement for me. That's, that's the thrill I get is when you have someone that has something authentic to tell um, and hasn't had a chance to say that yet. And that's the amazing thing. It's about how to use this in a way that says, okay, these are ways that I want to express what I'm feeling, but ultimately it's authentic voice being true to who you have there, being true to the story and understanding the power that you have with those tools to best express, I think, to me, is the important thing.
1: I have one final question, which is really to think about what advice you might have for listeners, some of whom are college students sort of trying to find their way in the world, and some of whom are already on their own paths. What are suggestions you have to either, you know, become a creator that engages in these sorts of ethical relationships, or perhaps um, for folks who want to support the work of indigenous or independent or other kinds of filmmakers and creators who are creating things outside of the mainstream? What's some advice you would give?
2: Allow yourself to fail and allow yourself to go out there and know that not everything is going to be what you expect it's going to be and let the journey take you when you're creating something to go somewhere else, to not just stick. I mean, it's good when you're working with someone, a larger crew and all that to have a script or have a plan. But if it's starting to go another way, allow yourself to take that journey. It's exciting. It's exciting when you're with there and let's say you have a collaborator and they say, hey, look at this. And you watch and you're like, this is why. This is why we work with one another because you're observing. And to find collaborators and don't take no, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to say no, that say you can't do it. You can't do it because you're in Northwest Ohio. You can't do it because you're in Central Michigan. You can't do it because you're in a flyover state. And it just doesn't mean it becomes reframing what you want to do. And if, let's say, you want to try some sort of art um, or whatever, like, I, you know, I want to be a comic book artist growing up. That's one of the things that I wanted to do. And I realized I wasn't good enough. And I, that doesn't mean I wanted to quit drawing, but I'm like, how can I find ways to express myself? And then you start reading things, and you're like, well, that doesn't matter. As long as the expression is true, as well as you're authentic to what you're trying to do, you will find an audience, you will find collaborators and then it relates to this idea of kid. I always say, I always tell my students, kindergarten rules, meaning that show up, be nice. And that's ultimately what it comes down to is that and defend those that maybe need, need a little, need a little hand. And it's just very simple. And it's just, I think we, we muddy things up as we get older, but it's just really just, if it would, this flying kindergarten, would you, would you, would you be put in a corner if you did this? And if it says, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. I mean, to me, it just makes, you know, yeah. If I had a message,
0: think more and believe less, I think. I think that when we say certain words, we activate our own participation within our reality. And I think that when we say certain words, that it negates our ability to to manifest our thoughts in 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 a way that's productive. As far as uh, you know, uh, I don't I don't know uh, how to describe. The Creator gives us gifts, uh, and they're all different. I don't know. I guess I'm an artist, or I, I I'm a creative person. That's the only thing that I know how to do. That's the only understanding of myself as a human being. That's my gift. That's my power. So maybe along those lines is. You know, take some time to, to understand your individual power, uh, you know, and if you don't know what that means, if that's maybe a little abstract, you know, think about like if you're in a bad mood right? How bad can you make yourself feel? And, and when you're next to somebody that's in a bad mood, or if you're, you know, it's palpable, you can feel that, right? That's energy, that's power, that's real alternative energy. You want to talk about all of this other stuff? No, we need to start looking at ourselves as individuals. We are the, uh, the original source of alternative energy, right? So if we can understand that, and we can harness it and focus it, and we can use that... In whatever creative expression or whatever endeavor, you know, we have that, focus it, use it, think about what you do. Don't believe it because when you believe, you shut yourself off and you disconnect the, the being part of human, right? We feel through the being, but we act through the human. And as soon as we disconnect from that, whatever outcome we have is broken because we've already broken that connection. So inherently, it's going to be flawed. So think more and believe less, I guess, is is the what I got.
1: Thank you so much for joining me today, Seth and Lucas. This has been a pleasure. Listeners can keep up with ICS Happenings by following us on Twitter and Instagram at ICSBGSU or by looking at our Facebook page. You can listen to Big Ideas wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please subscribe or follow and rate us on your preferred platform. For more information or to suggest a topic or guest for a future episode, you can visit bgsu.edu forward slash bgideas. Our producers are Chris Cavera and Marco Mendoza with Sound Engineering by Marcus Law. Deanna McKeegan, and Marco Mendoza. Research assistance for this episode was provided by Branson Young with editing by Carrie Hanlon.